Our Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and uh, you've taught us to pray uh, that your name would be honored, uh, set aside as a special object of reverence and worship, Lord, that your name would be hallowed, Lord. So uh, we pray that our lives uh, would, uh, would honor you, and our minds and hearts would give you the honor uh, that you are worthy of, Lord. We thank you for your kingdom, and you've taught us to pray that, that your kingdom would come. Lord, we, we rejoice. We've seen the coming of your kingdom and the coming of your Son, who is the King, and we thank you that your kingdom has come uh, to that degree that we see your gospel taking root around the world, Lord, and it's even come into our lives and our families. So we thank you that your kingdom has come and we pray that it will come in greater power, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. We don't, we don't always do your will and we would pray that that would happen first in us, uh, that we would obey your will and serve in your Son. So we thank you for those things and we thank you for our daily provisions Lord, uh, and that you would teach us to forgive uh, others, and as you forgive our sins, we would be taught uh, to forgive others, Lord. And uh, <clears throat> we do ask you to keep us from temptation, Lord. It comes from within, it comes throughout our own flesh, our own hearts, are very prone uh, to open the door. So, Lord, we're not strong. We need you to deliver us from temptation and teach us to know that we're weak and it's easy. We can fall. And uh, as your apostle warns us, uh, let those who think they stand take heed lest they fall. Lord, deliver us from false confidence and, and deliver us from the evil one, our adversary that delights in taking us down. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask you to open our minds to your word this evening and to the amazing suffering and power that's on display here in our Savior. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, so we're going through Jesus' trial now, and I'll review a little bit and kind of get the forest from the trees, so to say. Uh, we know that uh, Jesus, after he was arrested, he was first brought uh, before Annas, uh, and then uh, was Peter's first denial. And then that night, be, when, when Jesus is before Caiaphas at the Sanhedrin, uh, we have Peter's second and third denial. So first Jesus is before Annas, then he goes before the, the ruling body, the Sanhedrin. This is still early hours of the morning on Friday. And Caiaphas is the high priest. And they reach a, a death verdict on the charge of blasphemy. That's the ruling of the Sanhedrin. They, they, that's their ruling. And they do that in the early hours of the morning. And once they reach that death verdict, 
Uh, Jesus is abused. That's the first time he's physically abused under, under the authority there of the Sanhedrin. And so uh, at the morning, Friday morning, the Sanhedrin had another meeting, but it wasn't continuation of the trial. That meeting on Friday morning was to get their strategy ready to take Jesus before Pilate. And so we see Jesus before Pilate early Friday morning, which is where we're going to start this evening. And um, at that time, early morning, after they're going to take Jesus to Pilate, is where Judas has his remorse. Judas has been hanging around, and Judas realizes the Sanhedrin has condemned him, and then he feels remorse when that meeting on Friday morning is getting ready to take Jesus to Pilate early Friday morning. That's when uh, Matthew tells us G Judas began to feel remorse. And that's kind of where our studies stopped last week. So tonight we're going to start with early morning Friday. Jesus is being brought to Pontius Pilate early in the morning. And a lot of this is going to be John. We're going to follow John. He has most of the detail. And then we're going to supplement with Matthew and Luke. So Jesus goes before Pilate. This means the first time. Here you see on my outline. And then Pilate acquits him. And the Jews rebel against that acquittal. And the Jews make reference that Jesus is from Galilee. <laughs> and that gives Pilate the idea to send Jesus over to Herod because of Herod's jurisdiction is in the north. So Pilate won, then Jesus goes to Herod, then Jesus is returned, Herod returns Jesus back before Pilate, and he's before Pilate a second time. And while he's before Pilate a second time, he tries to exonerate Jesus again, and then the Jews give him another piece of information that he claimed to be the Son of God. And that causes Pilate to interview Jesus a third time based on he said that he was the Son of God, and then Pilate again gets Jesus, and they have a third interview. Jesus and Pilate have a third interaction. And then after that, finally, uh, Pilate tries to exonerate Jesus again, and he finally capitulates to the pressure of the Jews, and he delivers Jesus to be, uh, to be crucified. So that's the forest from the trees. And where we are tonight is right here. Je the first time that Jesus is before Pilate is where we're picking it up here tonight. Um, hopefully that helps. Um, so we're over here now on uh, John chapter 18 around verse 28. <clears throat> and I'll get us there. There we go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. 
Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. <laughs> That's quite the answer, isn't it? <laughs> Trust us. We know this is a bad dude. <laughs> We'd have never brought him here if he really, really wasn't evil. That's, that's their response. Um, Pilate doesn't, doesn't accept that. Now, let's look at the map for a second. Uh, so where is the Praetorium? Uh, let's back up here. And these things are quite close together. Uh, so here is the high priest's house where the Sanhedrin probably met and where Annas and Caiaphas condemned the Lord Jesus. And then when they brought him to Pilate, it's probably a half a mile away, uh, they brought him over here to this place called the Praetorium. This is a Gentile Roman facility for the Roman uh, garrison of troops as well as the Roman governor on occasions. So um, now let's talk about Pilate a little bit. Pilate is governor of Judea. That's the, southern, uh, that's the southern region. Jerusalem is in, in uh, Jordia, Judea. Let me make that a little bigger. Uh, <clears throat> and Pilate was appointed by Tiberius Caesar in AD 26. And he held the position to 37, which is only 11 years, which is not very long. So he was a governor or, or a prefect. And uh, from the gospel account, we might think that Pilate has some redeeming qualities since he declared Jesus to be innocent three times and he tried at least two or three different methods to, to get uh, Jesus uh, not condemned. Uh, so we might think that, that he has uh, some redeeming Qualities. Nevertheless, he was willing to sacrifice Jesus, if I may use that term, to ensure that a bad report would not reach Caesar. And when this is all said and done, I really think that that was the issue for Pilate, is that he could not endure another bad report. These vassal states... If they hated the vassal rulers, they could appeal to Caesar. And the Jews had already done that regarding Pilate. They had already appealed to Caesar about Pilate. And, and uh, Tiberius Caesar had a, a not-too-kind reprimand already. So Pilate already has some marks against him as far as the Roman emperor is concerned. And uh, you see that later in this discussion. Also, he's under pressure when he thinks a riot is about to occur that he is going to have to suppress with force. The ideal Roman vassal ruler did not need to use force to keep the vassal state inside the Roman Empire. If you were constantly resorting to force, to keep your region in the Roman Empire, you didn't get high marks from the Caesars because you are supposed to keep 
the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, you're responsible. So Pilate is under all, all this kind of tension, and it surfaces in some of the interactions here. So uh, let's see. Now, we might think he, he's a good fellow, but um, uh, <clears throat> to ensure that a bad report about him doesn't reach Caesar, I think he sacrifices Jesus. He has already received one, sebe- one severe rebuke from, from Tiberius, and he is recalled in 37. He's recalled in 37, and ultimately he's banished from the empire. So he doesn't, his, his career doesn't fare well as a high position of authority in the Roman Empire. The extra-biblical record reveals a ruthless tyrant type of ruler. Many Jews loathe him, and small groups which publicly protested Roman rule were often put down by him with a brutal violence. Uh, do we have any examples of that in the Gospels? Of that? Where small groups, um, perhaps that were negative or uh, rebelling against Roman authority, were put down with violence? Do we have an example of that in the Gospels? Um, that's kind of close. Uh, in Galilee, uh, we ha- let me let me bring it up here. Uh, Luke, it's going to be Luke thirteen. There were present at that season some who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Okay, so we don't know much more. Uh, he he slaughtered them. Okay, is what that means, and they were they were I don't know performing sacrifices or doing something, and they were probably in Galilee. Now, what they're doing offering sacrifices in Galilee doesn't make sense because you should only offer sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. But no, this is an example of Pilate's uh, holding down anybody that would threaten threaten the kingdom. So we actually have have a record of that here in the Gospels of what he did. Now, Jesus turned that into an interesting lesson, uh, but that is a glimpse of the Pilate that we find on in the extra-biblical record. Um, from Josephus, we learn, Josephus is a Jewish historian that wrote about the time of Christ. From Josephus, we learn that uh, Pilate hated his Jewish subjects and took few pains to understand them. And capitulating to the Jews may have bothered Pilate more than having Jesus crucified. See, they won. Pilate is in this struggle all Friday morning (laughs) with these Jews that he really dislikes. And ultimately, they won. And he, he capitulated under their pressure. And he may have loathed that more than the fact that he condemned an innocent man. So there's some background. The Praetorium was headquarters of the commanding officer. I've already said that. And the military camp was stationed. Pilate did not normally reside in the Praetorium, but when there was a feast, 
he would reside there just in case he had to order troops to put down a rebellion under all the fervor of the Jewish feast. So Pilate actually is there during the Passover week. Uh, so he could quickly order order troops uh, down in there. If we went back at the map, now that we're on this, it's interesting if you look at this map and you look at the temple here, this Antonia Fortress is built right connected to the whole temple area. And this is a place where Roman troops are stationed. And they actually have access through the wall and stairs so that if there's any insurrection starting to foment inside the temple area, they can immediately get into this area and deal with a Jewish revolt. Uh, so that is a Roman area uh, occupation there as well as Roman occupation here. Uh, so, <clears throat> that gives you some background as to some of the things that are going on here. And Pilate, Pilate needs to determine whether Jesus really is one of these insurrectionists or not. And, and quite a few of his questions we're going to see have to do with, is, is Jesus really... Uh, worthy of execution because of treason against Rome. And of course, Pilate concludes multiple times that he isn't. But that's what's going on in this trial before Pilate. So, um, okay. <clears throat> now, it's interesting. We get a glimpse of the Jews here. Um, they, led, they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go in the praetorium lest they should be defiled. You know, this is swallow, uh, strain the gnat and swallow the camel. <laughs> they're so concerned <laughs> that they're going to be defiled, they don't want to go in there because this is a Gentile place. And they may come into contact with whatever that might ceremonially defile them. And it says because they might eat the Passover. What they're talking about there is not, I don't think, the, the directly the Passover meal. We've been over this before. But the Passover, the celebration of unleavened bread was seven days. Okay, so they got to go seven days during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they don't want to be defiled for that feast, uh, for, for that seven-day thing. Uh, that's a bit of a sidetrack. But... Um, <clears throat> So what we're seeing here now is Pilate has Pilate's going to come out to them. So Pilate then see went out to them and said. So he goes to the entrance to the Praetorium to begin to engage with them. What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, "If he were not an evil doer, we would not have delivered him up to you." Uh, Pilate doesn't accept that, and Pilate says. And Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your own law. Okay. So he tries immediately to dismiss the case. That's his first attempt. I don't want to be involved in this. You judge him according to your law. In other words, these rulers never wanted to get involved in trying to settle an internal dispute amongst the Jews. 
You even see this with Paul's situation. Uh, they're not going to get involved in these Jewish religious disputes. And that's what Pilate is saying here. Pilate's already saying, I think this is a religious dispute amongst you Jews. You go solve it. I'm not involved. I don't want to be involved. Okay. So, uh, he doesn't accept that evasive answer. And of course, Pilate, they know, the Jews know that Pilate cares nothing for their blasphemy laws. So they sort of have a problem because they convicted him to be put to death on blasphemy and they know that Pilate has no care about their blasphemy laws. Which is why they don't tell him they believe Jesus is a blasphemer. You see, they say, you know, what evil has he done? They don't say, well, he's a blasphemer. They, they don't tell him that. Uh, because he doesn't care about that. So, now Luke records what they did say, but John doesn't put it in there, but Luke records what they did say in Luke 23, 1. And this must have taken place at the entrance to the praetorium. So in Luke 23, 23, 1, we learn a little more. Then the whole multitude of them arose, led, led him to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. So John doesn't put that in there, but Luke does. So, um, <clears throat> So Pilate must have heard those things, and this must have taken place at the entrance to the praetorium. Now, it's likely at this early morning juncture that they hoped Pilate wouldn't ask too many questions, and they would just confirm their judgment, and he would sentence Jesus to death. Pilate sees right through all of this, and Pilate likely enjoys not giving them what they desire as he asserts his authority over them. So he refuses to take the case. You take him and judge him according to your law. Pilate is now a significant obstacle to the Jews. They must reframe their charges and represent Jesus as an insurrectionist to Roman rule. And you kind of begin to hear that in what Luke reports here. And they began to accuse him, saying, you know, I almost tend to think when Pilate's going to turn the case away, that's when they began to accuse him and start saying this other stuff. I, I don't know that for certain. You know, we would not have delivered him up to you if he were not an evildoer. Pilate's not convinced. So now they, they begin to transition and they start representing him as perverting the nation, not Jewish nation, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Now they're, now they're going to say, well, he's rebelling against Caesar, and he's saying himself that he is Christ a king. So now they don't mention the blasphemy charge, and so now they're charging him, accusing him of these things, Pilate actually has to investigate this. See, if Pilate is really doing his job and someone else is claiming to be king, 
who's going to lead a rebellion, Pilate can't be caught by surprise after the rebellion starts. So they are claiming this Jesus is what? Saying that he himself is Christ a king. So at that point, Pilate has to investigate and talk with Jesus. That's what he's supposed to do, because any threat to Caesar, he's supposed to put down. So by them blurring him, pulls him further into this can't just dismiss it and walk away, because if it does turn out, you know, five years later, Jesus leads an insurrection, you know, where, where was Pilate? So I think you get the idea. They're, they're pulling him in. By telling him he's forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Now, did Jesus do that? Did Jesus do that? No. What did he do? He actually said the opposite. He actually said the opposite. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. So they're out and out lying here. He, he, never, he never did that. And he even went and knew of the money in a fish waiting for him. Exactly, yeah, to pay, to pay the tax. He did the miracle about the money. So, so, so they're just, they're trying to get Pilate's attention. This guy is dangerous to the Roman Empire. He's forbidding people to pay taxes, and he himself is a king. So then Pilate begins to interview him, and we're going to go back to John because John has more detail. But you see, then Pilate asked Jesus, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. Uh, So now it's interesting here, Luke, a lot, John is going to give us a lot of detail as to what happens between verses three and four here. Because reading Luke, we just have, but then, uh, yeah, it is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and crown, I find no fault in this man. But we got to go to John, and there's, a, there's quite a discussion that takes place between Jesus and Pilate at this point. And so we're going we're gonna to go over to John and uh, pick, it up, uh, pick it up there. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to go, let me, let me get back to John. Um, Okay, and start following it here. All right, they answered, okay. Then Pilate said to them, you take him, okay. You take him and according to your law. Now we learn something more from John. Therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So now Pilate realizes they want a death sentence out of him. I'm not sure he realized that earlier. I don't know whether he did or not. But now he knows what what they are expecting him to do as the Roman governor is condemn him to death. Now John stops here and interprets. This is really neat what John stops here. Um, All right. Where did I get it? On that here. Mm, wait a minute. Right here. It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. 
that saying of Jesus, they said that, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. <clears throat> Anybody want to take a, take a crack at what's, what's going on there? Why John interrupts here? Every word that he spoke was prophetic. So does that mean that? What do you think? What do you think uh, John has in mind? Saying that, based on what uh, what Jesus says, everything has a purpose, and therefore, what he says is required for him to die. So it's kind of like. Each and everything he says is a sign of his death. He's fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, what prophecy? So when a Jewish man committed um, blasphemy, they were to be taken outside the city and stoned on the ground. Prophecies of Jesus, and Jesus himself said, the Son of Man will be lifted right. up, and he will die on a tree, right. of which you're not usually right. having... Pieces of logs thrown at you. Right. He has to be lifted up. And uh, that's, that's what John is saying. The, if the Jews were to execute him, they would stone him. But John knows that Jesus has already said the way he's going to die is to be lifted up. So what John sees here is it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That saying, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke signifying what death he would die and that's the lifted up death and we see that in a couple of places we see that in John chapter 3 as and as Moses what lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up and then Jesus himself well these are Jesus's words in both in in John 3 and uh, in John, um, John 12, now is, this is Jesus, now is the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself, this he said, signifying by what death he would die. So John sees the very fact that the Jews aren't going to execute him is, is, is necessary because he has to die by being lifted up and that has to be a capital offense in the Roman, in the Roman Empire. So as John writes his gospel, he, he remembers all of this while he's writing his gospel, you know, 30 years later uh, when John writes, writes this gospel. Okay, so let's keep going here. Um, Okay, so Pilate begins to question Jesus. Let's get to 1833. Uh, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again. See, he goes back in. He's going back and forth. He entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you concerning me? 
Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? So let's let's stop at that point and take that. We cannot quite tell if Pilate asked this question mockingly or with some sincerity. It, It could be translated following the Greek word order, You, the king of the Jews? Question mark. It, it, it could be translated that way, which is maybe he's asking that mockingly. We, we don't know. Um, <clears throat> Jesus answered him, Are you speaking of yourself? Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Jesus wants to know if Pilate was asking this question from his own initiative, from his own interest, or if the Jews made this charge against him to Pilate. Um, He wants to know this. Pilate said, am I a Jew? Your own nation delivered you up to me. What have you done? Pilate's answer comes in the form of a rhetorical question. Am I a Jew? Well, he, of course, is not a Jew. right? Pilate is not a Jew and he did not ask the question from his own interest. He, he's not a Jew, and I have no interest in this people group. And we know that's the character of Pilate, even from extra-biblical data. You know, Herod knew how to get along with the Jews much better than Pilate did by helping them build their temple and all of this stuff. He courted their favor. So, so no, um, your own people deliver you up, so Pilate's not asking that question for that. Um, he prefers to have as little dealings as possible with the Jews and Jesus. He already told them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Pilate continues, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Uh, this is an issue between Jesus and his own nation. You see, that's what Pilate is trying to make it. Your own nation delivered you up. This is an issue between Jesus and his own nation. And uh, so, Pilate, however, since there's a claim to kingship, since there's a claim to kingship is now being discussed, Pilate must determine if Jesus is a political threat to the Roman imperial power. Jesus, of course, understands this. Now, it's interesting, Jesus doesn't answer his question, what have you done? He doesn't answer that question, does he? He doesn't. Of course, he's not done anything wrong. There's, there's, there's no answer to that. The only answer to that is, I've done nothing wrong. But Jesus never directly defends himself throughout, throughout this trial. And I'm not saying that should be the example of us. When we, be, I'm kind of sidetracked here, but... When we go on trial before the authorities, if we have a legitimate defense, we should do it by every means, bring it. So some probably have used this for pacifism. And that's my point. Jesus never defends himself throughout this whole proceeding, but that's not an example for us when we are innocent before the law. We, we, we have every right and probably obligation to defend ourselves. Offering ourselves up to be sacrificed. So, pacifists have used Jesus' response here to say, well, as Christians, we should just be pacifist. 
and and we should not defend ourselves in you know when when they condemn us and so forth. I don't I don't think that's correct. So all I'm saying is this situation here is unique because Jesus is offering himself. So, Brian, can you clarify when um you're saying people are using passivism? Are they are you saying that they won't answer or that um they're claiming that they don't want to do anything because Jesus actually, by that definition, he would not have been passive because the conclusion of the conversation is that, oh, Jesus did defend himself and I should set him free. Well, you're, you, that is correct. But by Jesus explaining his kingdom and stuff, he at least defended himself that he's not a threat. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Uh, Anyways, I know this does just come up in these discussions. Uh, Jesus' behavior here is quite passive, uh, but, but there are places where he does speak, and, and this is one of those. And uh, so, um, yeah, so Jesus understands that Pilate needs to find out if he's a threat. And Jesus answered this way, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate's question was, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus doesn't directly answer that question, but he still makes it clear that he is a king. But he is a king of a very different kind of kingdom compared to what Jews and the Pilate, and Pilate thinks. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. So obviously he's saying he is a king and he does have a kingdom. So he is answering the question. He is a king and he does have a kingdom. But all the confusion here is about what the kingdom is like. He does have a kingdom. Now, that, by the way, what Jesus said, explains the strange behavior of both the king and his subjects last evening in the garden. Jesus said that. My kingdom is not of here. He goes on, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. What happened on Thursday night? His servants didn't fight. He actually told his servants not to fight on Thursday night. So here's the explanation. They went out with a Roman battalion of troops. Why? They were expecting a fight with an insurrectionist and his followers. And not one of those Roman soldiers had to draw a sword. Okay? If my, my kingdom were of this world, otherwise my servants would fight, but my kingdom's not of this world. So he's explaining this to Pilate. And of course, what he's doing is he's reassuring Pilate that you don't have an insurrection on your hand here. Um, so, okay, uh, where are we here? <clears throat> yeah. Are you the king of the Jews? All right. But it's a very different kind of kingdom. My servants would fight, explain Thursday night behavior. 
Now remember that Thursday night, remember someone among the disciples said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? <laughs> so, uh, now, apart from John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5, this is the only instance of kingdom terminology in John's gospel. Other than John 3, what happened in John 3? Nicodemus, right. Uh, you cannot see the kingdom of God, you know, unless you're born again. So other than that discussion, and here with uh, Pilate, the term kingdom is never used in the Gospel of John. Um, I just want to point that out, out to you, that stark difference between the Gospel of John and the synoptics. The, the synoptics, by that we mean Matthew, Mark, and Luke are really similar, and they talk about the kingdom a lot, but not John. That, uh, John wants us to see this, this kingdom of truth, this kingdom of light, which we'll see here in a moment. Um, okay. So, but there's a strange, there's a specifically strained encounter, like Jesus with Nicodemus or Jesus with Pilate. The matter of the kingdom does come up, uh, and John does include it. So, But John represents Jesus as consistently disavowing all political aspirations as here before Pilate. And so <clears throat> this is going to reassure Pilate that Jesus is not a threat. However, Jesus isn't saying that he does not have a kingdom and that he is not a king. Obviously, he's claiming both. He is a king, and he has a kingdom referred to as my kingdom. But the origin of his kingdom is not earthly. Look what he says. But now, but now my kingdom, what? Is not from here. Now, we know what here means. It means earthly. <laughs> His kingdom does not originate from armies waging war with swords and chariots, the way the Roman Empire came to be. Pilate grasped that Jesus is claiming to be a king, so he must inquire further. Are you a king then? He may have asked the question with some scorn or thinking Jesus was delusional. I don't know, but he says, are you a king then? Just as Jesus affirmed that he is the king of the Jews, but had to define that his kingdom was not from this world, now again he affirms he is a king but he must explain the unique nature of his reign and his influence. Those are two key words. He is a king, kings reign, and kings have influence. And so now Jesus is going to explain the, his reign and his influence. What is it? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. He's answering Pilate. You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, 
And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. This is a big statement. (laughs) The expression, this cause, points in both directions in this text. He was born and came into the world to be a king. That's part of the cause. For this cause I was born and came into the world. What? To be a king. So this cause points back in the phrase, I was born to be a king and came into this world to be a king. But his purpose for coming is very unique and explained in these statements. For this cause I have come into the world, and it points forward, that I should bear witness to the truth. Jesus is truth witness. That's the reason he came into the world. That's his cause. He is a king. He has a reign and a cause. Okay, And he has influence. And what is it? To be a witness to the truth. He bears witness to what is true. And not only for the Jews, but for the world. For this cause, what? I came into the world to bear witness of of the truth to the world. This is a spectacular claim. Okay? (laughs) He is so much more than the king of the Jews. He is the king of truth. He is the king of truth. And he conquers and makes subjects by the truth, not by the sword. He's going to extend his reign. His reign's going to permeate the Roman Empire. Correct? He is a king, and he is reigning, and he's going to permeate the Roman Empire and instead of the falsehood of worshiping all these Roman gods, they're going to begin to worship the God of the Jews, the one and only true God. That's the kind of king he is. That's what his influence is. That's what his reign is. But he is a king. So he's no immediate threat. But he is going to take over the Roman Empire by the time we get to 325 A.D., isn't that amazing? It's, it's just it's wonderful. It's a spectacular and one of one of Jesus' spectacular claims, you know, that, that he came into the world. He is the Son of God. So, so now let let's Jesus isn't he's got one more thing to say that 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 he says to Pilate. It's a little bit subtle, but it's there. Uh, you'll see it. Um, Okay, let me get to the right place in my notes. Well, since Jesus' reign is expressed by his testimony to the truth, and if his followers, and if Jesus' followers are characterized by allegiance to his testimony, rather than violent rebellion, 
Pilate has nothing to fear, and the Sanhedrin has grossly misrepresented this man in order to get rid of him. Pilate will come to, come to these conclusions. Now, Jesus' final statement cuts very close to Pilate and all of us. Jesus puts one more statement to Pilate. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, this is another spectacular claim. What is he saying? Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. If you are thinking and living in accordance with what is true, you will recognize that what Jesus says is the truth. Right? Hearing his voice. Hearing his voice. If, if you are really operating in the realm of truth, you will, you will hear Jesus' voice. You will recognize that when it comes to the matter of truth from God, Jesus is its source. You will, you will hear his voice. That is, you will recognize the voice of truth in the voice of this man, Jesus. That's what he says. That is a veiled invitation, isn't it? It absolutely is an invitation. Jesus just gave Pilate an invitation. Pilate, if you really are of the truth, or if you want to be of the truth, you need to listen to me. You need to listen to me. You need to hear my voice. And of course, Jesus has been say, saying that. John has been recording Jesus making those kind of statements right throughout the whole Gospel of John. I mean, that's one of the major themes of the Gospel of John. I am the way, the life, and what? The truth. <laughs> so this is one of John's themes. And none of the other synoptic authors pick that up in this interview with Pilate, but John picks that up and it fits right in with his whole theme in his gospel about light and truth. So another spectacular claim, everyone who, uh, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So that is recognizes that what Jesus says is true. So actually... We are on trial, not Jesus. Right? Pilate's on trial. Is he going to hear or not? Are we going to hear or not? We're on our trial of our own, aren't we? Humanity is on trial as to how you respond to this, this person's voice. That, that trial that was on Pilate's doorstep, so to say, comes to every one of us. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Okay? And if you reject Jesus' voice, you're not of the truth. I don't care what your religion is or how many grandmas you've walked across the street or, or whatever, okay? Okay?
you reject this man's voice, you're not of the truth. That's what Jesus said. And that's what his kingdom is about. And for this cause, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So, thank you, John, <laughs> for including these things. Um, so, Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews. Pilate didn't wait for an answer from Jesus to his question, what is truth? Well, Jesus has already told him what is truth, whatever he says. He didn't wait for an answer. Um, Pilate's question, though, Pilate's question is the right question, but it's not asked as a genuine seeker. But interestingly, it sounds like skepticism, doesn't it? What is truth? It sounds like that it's impossible to really know what is true, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, there were, there were, there were skeptic philosophers prior to Jesus' day. Skepticism among the Greeks was already there. And, and I, I mean, I'm not surprised. Pilate's probably very educated, very, you know, I mean, but that idea, what is truth, I, there's, there's skepticism there, like we don't really know, or maybe we can't know. It, you can't be known. But here is a man standing before him that says you can know what the truth is. Isn't that? So it, it's a skeptical kind of attitude and statement that he makes. Um, so he may have asked the question with some scorn, or just thinking that Jesus was um, delusional. Um, okay, so just as Jesus affirmed that he is the king of the Jews, but he had to define, he had to define that kingdom was not from this world, he again affirms that he is a king, but he must explain the unique nature of his reign and influence. So... Uh, all right, I'm reviewing that. That's, that's, that's a repeat. Um, probably this is a good place to stop. Uh, this is like the conclusion of Pilate's first round with Jesus. There's going to be two more rounds that, that Pilate has with Jesus, but we'll, we'll stop there. Do you have comments or questions? Um, I, well, I should shut up because I asked that question. Okay. I will say something and then open up the questions. You should really be familiar with these trials of Jesus and all that's going on. It's a place for you to, to, to really, you know, grasp. Not every passage in Scripture needs to be grasped, and all Scripture is profitable, okay? I'm not throwing out. But there, there's places that are just central to help you understand historically, you know, how this is all unfolding, and to understand theologically the significance of this interchange, you see. So I'm just encouraging you to, you know, 
read these accounts and be, you know, be familiar with them. If you're familiar with them, they'll come up, you know, when you're teaching or when you're teaching your children or your grandchildren or you're trying to evangelize somebody. When, you know, when these things are familiar with you, you'll be surprised. You know, they will come up. Uh, they will come up in your mind and heart when, when you can use them. So let, let me just encourage you to... I'm glad that you're sticking with us in this class, okay, so that I can be part of, of equipping you to understand these and use them in your own life and, and for the life of others. So, but Anybody uh, with a comment or a question? Or maybe we need uh, Matthew here tonight. Like, I think this is a good note to end on. <laughs> that was so great that evening. It was a good note. But, uh, but don't, be, don't be bashful. Some of you are reading the, the Bible seriously for the first time. I'm, I'm looking at a few of you that are, that are really doing that. Uh, it, it's great uh, that you're here. Um, all right, if there are no questions, uh, let's pray. Father, we, we thrill uh, as we see uh, your Son, in whom you are well pleased. Lord, uh, we, we thrill uh, as we see what he is willing to do, and uh, at the cost, and uh, uh, we thrill at, at hearing the mission that you sent him on, that you sent him into our world because we are those who sit in, the, in darkness and the shadow of death, Lord. Every one of us has sought for much time in darkness and the shadow of death, and upon us a great light has shone. So, Lord, we thank you for the mission that you sent him into this world of ours, and that he is the king of truth. And his reign extends by truth. And thank you, Lord, that that reign has extended into our lives, in our hearts. And we, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit, we call him Lord, our Lord, Lord. Lord, we do pray that the progress of your gospel would flourish in our lives, our families, our city, our nation, our world, and that we would remain faithful, Lord, and not be ashamed of you, Lord. Um, we pray for our family members that don't know you. Lord, they don't hear Jesus' word. They fail the test. Lord, so we ask your mercy upon them, and we ask that you would even use us, Lord, Help us uh, to uh, stick our necks out, so to say. Oh, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.